Pints with Jack, Season 4, Episode 11. The Screwtape Letters, Letter 6. Should I stay or should I go? Welcome, everyone. Pints with Jack is your weekly C.S. Lewis podcast, where David, Andrew, and I break down and discuss the works of C.S. Lewis. This season, we are eavesdropping on the correspondence of a senior demon, Screwtape, as he explains how to tempt the patient, a human assigned to be tempted by Screwtape's nephew, Wormwood. Each week, we'll be considering a different letter, untwisting Screwtape's hellish logic, informing a battle plan for our own spiritual lives. And I am excited to say that the old team is back together again. Yeah, we haven't been on an episode together since I think about episode six. Yes, it, it feels like a mini reunion. The episode six felt like the big <laughs> reunion because, the, I mean, that was the last time I recorded with you solo was when I was in Georgia. I mean, that was sometime May or June. So that was a big one. I was going to ask you, how are you feeling since we've had this change in dynamic by introducing Andrew as a guest co-host? So obviously... The, the three-way, I mean, first of all, I'm, I'm enjoying it all. It's There are some adjustments, though. So the three-way I loved, absolute blast. But the adjustment with Andrew and I, and listeners, you guys will appreciate this, was who takes on David? <laughs> because <laughs> what David does is David keeps the structure, keeps the flow, and keeps it tight. And that actually creates the space for myself and Andrew, similar to me this way, to just speak. And at the certain moments, but it doesn't go off on a tangent because David's got the structure. Well, when it was just Andrew and I, I had to play David. And (laughs) it's hard because I, then I stuck to the structure very rigidly. So I have to, I'm gonna have to be a little bit better next time. I let Andrew then be me essentially. And it was just foreign, I guess is what I'm saying. (laughs) And maybe it required some humility to mean that I wasn't getting to say a lot of the free flowing comments, but I just had to stick to the script where Andrew got to do more of the free flowing and so that it will just be interesting. And then I've got the Brenton Dickinson recording that won't be released for a bit, but it, I'm recording that tomorrow. And there's one where it's going to be in a different dynamic because I'm not only going to have to keep structure, but have a, a banter sort of with a person I've actually never talked to before, which will be a little bit unique as well. So what I'm hearing is I'm helping you to become a better man. <laughs> Matt. You're welcome, Matt. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you, David. Thank you, David. In the same way you pushed me to give some of those talks that I didn't want to give. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, I, I am really psyched about the, the other guest co-hosts that we've got lined up because in just a couple of weeks, we'll be releasing your interview with one of Lewis's stepsons, Douglas Gresham. I'm excited for that to be released Uh, Just as a reminder for listeners, you can listen to the first one, but the first one was much more about Lewis. This one is going to be about Douglas. We do connect some of his life lessons that he's learned to Lewis and living with him, but more importantly, how did he live those out? That's the way I would think about it. Lewis helped form him, or Christ did through Lewis, as he would probably say, but what did he do with that teaching? How did it affect his life after Lewis's death and passing and his mother? So it's a good one, guys. And looking a little further ahead, we've got Metropolitan Callistos Ware scheduled. And if you don't know him, he's a well-known name in Eastern Orthodox circles. And we've also got Braxton Hunter. He's agreed to come on the show. And he's the co-host of the popular Trinity Radio podcast and YouTube channel. And he's also the president of Trinity College, which is a seminary in Evansville, Indiana. So listeners, as usual, David manages everything and I just uh, am a voyeur. But when I saw the email and then looked up Metropolitan Callistos Ware, I probably butchered that. Sorry. No, that was good. I was so excited. I, when I, when I have a deep respect, I have a deep respect for all Christian denominations, but the Eastern Orthodox I have a, a love for and I just can't wait to have him on. I, I kind of got giddy and I might've got the Wikipedia page and sent it to a few family members and said, look who's coming on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) David is just crushing it right now. Well, uh, Metropolitan Ware, he wrote an essay that was in a book that was a collection of essays that was presented to Lewis's former secretary, Walter Hooper. And I bought it for myself as a Christmas present last year. And I really enjoyed it. And His Eminence's essay was probably my favorite. Mm. So uh, when I found out, out a way of contacting him, I immediately jumped at it. <laughs> <laughs> and I enjoyed your email when you started with your eminence. It was a very different email <laughs> than what you do to other guest hosts you invite. 
It's like, hey, you. <laughs> <laughs> you want to come on the show? Oh. Well, let's talk about the song of the week a little bit, because as we know with movies, I'm very uncultured, and this is kind of happening the same thing with songs. <laughs> Again, I'm just making you a better man. Yeah, I'm wondering how I'm going to embarrass myself today as I have in previous weeks. <laughs> well, today we are studying letter six from the Screwtape Letters, and in this letter we find out that the patient may be sent to war. So Screwtape wants to capitalize on this uncertainty. And therefore, the song I chose for this episode is Should I Stay or Should I Go, uh, which is a song from The Clash. And so here's a little bit of the lyrics. Should I stay or should I go now? If I go, there will be trouble. And if I stay, it will be double. And that doesn't sound like uncertainty. That just sounds like a lose-lose. <laughs> that sounds like you certainly <laughs> lose. <laughs> well, the patient feels he will kind of lose whether he goes to war or not, whether it's the fear of being killed or uh, the fear of being branded a coward or inadequate in some way. Well, I'm assuming you had others you considered. What were uh, some of the others? Yeah, since the subject of worry was such an important topic in this letter, uh, I had two others that I that I toyed with. The first was Don't Worry, Be Happy from Bob Marley, as well as the basically the Disney version of that song's sentiment, Hakuna Matata from The Lion King. I, I, can, I can appreciate both of those. I think as we get into this letter, we will see my counter to each of those would be, I'm not quite sure Christianity just teaches... It does say constantly, don't worry and put your supplications and fears on the Lord. But the, the, the key there is not just to ignore them, which some of those come across as, ah, oh, just ignore them, just be happy-go-lucky, where instead it's, it's lean into that redemptive suffering, offer that fear up as a cross to bear. And I think, it's, I think those, those would be good, but that would be my reason why I, don't, I wouldn't have chosen those. <laughs> Am I overthinking it? Fair enough. Yeah, we can argue about that later. (laughs) All right, the quote of the week. This is from this letter, of course, letter number six. There's nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy. He wants men to be concerned with what they do. Our business is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. This is good because what we're going to see, and I'll mention this briefly before we dive into it into the letter but this is just so much about like reality versus imagined reality present versus future and what we're doing versus what we're thinking there's these are some big themes and so i'm i'm excited that that quote just perfectly encapsulated it what then is the drink of the week well this is what we've obviously been waiting for this is what keeps me doing this podcast every week (laughs) <laughs> this is from our tasting sets. We are still working through that. We have a, we have a number of these, which is great. It's Kleinalish 14, and that could be pronounced totally different. <laughs> could be Kleinalish. I have not a clue. Uh, 14 aged, it's a single malt. And in fairness, it did not get the best score from our Michael Jackson single malt book, Just so you guys know, it's an 81. McAllen and Lagavulin are in the 95s for a frame of reference. But we'll start with the color. And sometimes you guys hear us pale, amber. This one is a bright pale orange, which you can totally see. There's not a lot of amber in this. And I am always skeptical when there's not a lot of amber anymore, (laughs) at least based on my palate. Okay. The nose, which about to smell, it claims is a, a stroll in the sand dunes, whatever that means. Yeah, I have no idea what that means. I would say the nose is very nice. There's a burn, though. It's quite light. In the, yeah, it doesn't burn. It is. There's not actually a lot to it in the nose. It's not like you're, you're smelling mm. orange or vanilla or grass or things that we have experienced before. There's just really nothing. It smells like alcohol. <laughs> now, for the body and the palate, firm and oily, seductively smoky. We're about to have this taste. And as we taste it, there's a firm hit of cleansing flavors coriander, orange, dry, spicy, distinctively mustardy. David, let's see if we can get any of this. Okay. This sounds a bit random, but okay. (laughs) I can get the oily. I can get the oily. I can get the spicy and dry. I think I know what they mean by cleansing flavors. It's sort of sort of like a a citrus drink in the same way that cleanses your palate. This has a similar kind of idea. And it, 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 does, it doesn't start to get really warm until it gets sort of right at the back of your throat. Which is why I think they call it seductively smoky. 
that smokiness mm. of warmth comes at the end. And so it's it's somewhat seductive because, as it says, the firm hit of the cleansing flavors, everything you describe, that cleansing nature. But then at the end, there comes the peatiness, the smokiness. You know, I've had some 80s, low 80s. I would put this a high 80. I would agree. I would go above what this book says. It's definitely not a log of wool and it's definitely not a Macallan. But I, I, I can enjoy this. I think there's also fairly little in, in this whiskey to, uh, to put anyone off. I can't imagine anybody hating this. Yes. Well, as we do the drink of the week, before we dive into the chapter summary, our usual Patreon toast. So one of the benefits for being the gold level Patreon supporter is we toast one of you each week. And so today we are toasting Ricardo Gordillo. I think I said that right. I did take Spanish. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's Gordillo. Raise a glass, David. Ricardo, while Satan tries to steal you away from the present moment through uncertainty of the future, may your gaze remain firmly on our heavenly father, truth, and the present reality. Cheers. Beautiful. Cheers. I'm enjoying crafting these toasts of the weeks because they're essentially my summary or application slash prayer of what <laughs> a person should take away from the, the episode. All right, David. I love it. Let's hear the, uh, the chapter summary. Yes, letter six. And this was first published in The Guardian on the 6th of June, 1941. Uh, and just before I give my summary, as an aside, there is an excellent C.S. Lewis doodle for this chapter, which I'll put in the show notes. And uh, we've mentioned C.S. Lewis doodle before, and this one takes its audio from the Focus on the Family version of Screwtape, which was performed by Andy Serkis, who was the guy who played Gollum. Here is my 100-word summary. The patient may possibly be called to fight in the war. Screwtape wants the patient worrying extensively about all the different possibilities in his future. Screwtape downplays the effectiveness of fostering hatred for the Germans. He says that goodness often shines through regardless, and it does hell no good if the patient is, at the same time, also fostering benevolence to his neighbours. Screwtape ends the letter by presenting a model of humanity based on three concentric circles – will, intellect and fantasy saying that all virtue must be pushed to the edge and far away from his will. Well done, David. Thank you. Well, before we jump into this chapter, I just want to plant into seeds of people's mind as we go through this. The thing that I tease out that's really big that I thought was a theme that thread through this whole thing, and we can use different words, but was imagined reality versus reality. We're going to see this with fear. You know, fear of things versus fear itself. We're going to see this with prayer. Talks about briefly prayer to your Heavenly Father, focusing on your Heavenly Father or your state of mind of the Heavenly Father. And then virtues and vices. We're going to see you can feel good about certain things, but what are you actually doing? And so that was a theme, and I wanted to say that at the beginning. So as we go through this, that can just be a thread that we constantly somewhat pull back to. Okay. So Screwtape begins by saying how happy he is that it seems possible that the patient will be conscripted to fight in the war. And I think it's worth pointing out that this was the situation which Lewis experienced firsthand, because not only did he fight in World War I, he was also only 40 at the outbreak of World War II, and so he was therefore eligible to be called up for military duty then. In the end, he just served in the Home Guard, patrolling the streets of Oxford. So... Our patient may or may not be sent to fight. And Screwtape wants to use this uncertainty towards his usual hellish ends. He writes, We want him to be in the maximum uncertainty, so that his mind will be filled with contradictory pictures of the future, every one of which arouses hope and fear. And that line about contradictory pictures of the future I particularly like. Because Screwtape wants him to worry about every possible future and just forget the fact that not all of these can happen. If you've ever met someone that has the capacity to list all of the things that could possibly go wrong, uh, later in this season we're going to be reading The Silver Chair and we're going to meet Puddleglum, who is the master of this sort of thing. And notice that he uses both hope and fear because it could mm. be very easy to think hopeful, optimistic views of the future are always good because faith, hope, and love. But the problem is it's sometimes a hope and a fantasy where I think the virtue of hope is a hope in a reality 
of Christ saving grace. And I think that would be the distinction I might point out here, or at least take a stab at, because obviously hope is one of the three big virtues. So there's clearly something different here he's referring to. I think it's like a false hope. I think hope can also be kind of torturous when you know that something good could still happen and you're on tenterhooks, that there is a suffering that you go through when you are hoping for that good thing. Mm-hmm. Now, one might understand why a demon would want a human to suffer, but Screwtape sees this worry as something more than just purely for his enjoyment. Because he says, there is nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy. And as we're going to find out throughout these letters, Screwtape is results-focused. The only thing which matters is separating the man from God. And that's why he wants the man to worry, because it can be used to separate him from God. And Jesus actually even says this in the parable of the sower. In Matthew 13, he, when he's talking about the, the different seed, that some that falls on the, on the path, some among the thorns, some among the rocks, some on good soil. Jesus, when he's explaining his parable, he says, As for what was sown among thorns, this is he who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the delight of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. You know, our cares of the world can have a, a really detrimental impact upon our spiritual lives. And this brings me back to last week's letter, uh, letter five with Brenton, where it talks about suffering. And the problem wasn't suffering itself. It's exactly what you said. It was the actions and results that come from the suffering. Does it prevent you from forming virtues? That was a big thing I stressed in that letter. It's not the suffering itself, because suffering can be redemptive suffering. It can be offered into the cross. It's what they can get from it. So I like how you pointed that out. Suspense and anxiety it's not necessarily the suspense or anxiety. It's the fact that it barricades a mind against the enemy. And you're correct. That is a huge part of the screw tape letters. I'm not a scholar, but what I have noticed in these first six letters. And what screw tape says is that God wants men to be concerned with what they do. So what each individual human does with their life. And he says that our business, the, the business of the demons, is to keep these humans thinking about what will happen to them. And You might say this is Screwtape's main point in the letter. He'll articulate it several different ways throughout this letter and throughout this collection. Screwtape wants to keep the man thinking, thinking about bad things, and away from action, from obedience, from his faithful Christian life. He wants the man worried and inert, and this keeps him away from doing anything actionable. I can give a a personal example here. The reason... David, when you asked all of us to go through and to choose different letters that jumped out to us, this one very much resonated with me and my state today, because being in the early stage of uh, a startup, an investment fund, the strategies, there's times where it goes through poor performance, there's times where it goes through good performance. And I, first of all, relate to the hope and fear. There's times where I have insane hope and I'm constantly focusing on all the good things that can come from it. And there's times when it's doing poorly and I have insane fear. And it does exactly what screw tape or Lewis is communicating through screw tape to me. It barricades me against God. It affects my habits. It, it gets in the way of my prayer life because I wake up and my first thought will be, what do I need to do? And then sometimes I'll be so dwelling on the fear of the future. And if this fails, what does this mean for me, my worth, my family, my kids, all this stuff. And then it, it leads to inaction sometimes rather than, okay, no, mm-hmm. what you need to do is realize in the moments there's something to be learned from here. Get out of the future. If it's not doing well right now, it could be for nothing you can control and it's fine. Or it could be teaching you a beautiful lesson that God's trying to say, you need to, to, to tweak some things, do some things differently, learn from this, grow from this. But if I focus on the future, I don't do that action. And it can be very dangerous to my own yeah. professional life and prayer, spiritual, personal life. When I read this section, what it actually puts in me in mind of is when I was at school, uh, when I would receive a piece of coursework, when I was trying to learn some vocabulary, when I was trying to solve a math problem and was just utterly stuck. And I would allow that anxiety to build up and build up such that I could no longer do anything. And one of the things that my mother was always really, really good at doing, she would walk past as I was doing my homework, see that I was frustrated, and we'd just talk a little bit. She says, okay, what's, what's the next thing that you can do? Is there someone you can call? Is there another book that can help? You know, basically helping me get back from 
uh, ruminating on the hopelessness of the situation and my and my own inability to to do anything, and just to move to move take one more step forward, just do the next right thing, do the next thing towards climbing this mountain. That's I mean that's what the priest essentially that I alluded to on a few episodes ago. I was feeling a lot of despair because I was focused so much on the future, and I was thinking to myself, man, I am in such a spiritual hole right now. I feel a lack of hope that I'm going to be able to get out of this. And he he showed an insane amount of grace, compassion, and hope, but then he actually just had some practical steps. So let's talk about it. What are some things we could do? Okay, let's do this, this, and this. And, the, and when you put it that way, I'm like, you know, those aren't too hard to do. And it's been tremendous. Even in the four yeah. weeks, this will probably be released more like six to eight weeks after that experience. And I'm assuming it'll be even better, but four weeks after so far, it's just been what he's said has been a grace. And so that's, those are some lessons we can learn already. Obviously we'll get to the screw tape unscrewed, but here are some interjected early on. And just to connect it to an earlier Lewis doctrine, it's the heavenly and hellish creatures idea. It's the small choices that we make. It's just, they're allowed to play out over time. Yes. Well done. And so, so Screwtape wants to keep the man from acting in a good and godly way because that will strengthen him. And since the patient, being a Christian, he knows he must submit to God's will and carry this cross, Screwtape explains what this means. And he says that primarily the, the patient, he should accept with patience the tribulation which he's actually been dealt out to him which in this case is the anxiety and suspense of not knowing what's going to happen to him. Is he going to go to war? Is he going to get injured? Is he going to be killed? Is he going to be rejected as unfit? And this is what he needs to carry. This is the, the cross that we say that he needs to carry. And obviously Screwtape doesn't want him to actually do this. So he tells Wormwood, it is your business to see that the patient never thinks of the present fear as his appointed cross only the things that he is afraid of. And there's a subtlety here that's very easy to miss. The patient should regard the present fear and uncertainty as his cross. That's, that's, that would be the good thing to do. But what Screwtape wants him to do is instead to think of the full catalogue of possible futures. All of these are his crosses. And it's a far greater load, something he could never possibly process or carry. And Screwtape goes on and says, let him forget that since they are incompatible, they cannot all happen to him and let him try and practice fortitude and patience on them all in advance. And he says, for real resignation at the same moment to a dozen different hypothetical fates is almost impossible, and the enemy does not greatly assist those who are trying to attain it. And earlier I mentioned the C.S. Lewis doodle for this chapter, and there's a wonderful little speech bubble uh, that appears next to Thy Will Be Done. A new one appears and says, Thy Wills Be Done. (laughs) That's brilliant. This section hit me hard. Because I, I appreciated how we didn't put it in our quotes, but how Lewis, when when he was writing here, he said that thy will be done is in that in the daily bread needed to do that will is exactly what you pointed out. It's it's the thy will be done to the present struggles, the present suffering, not all these future ones. And so in my case as I'm reading this, I'm thinking about my work experience. And of course my brain goes, if there's poor performance for a quarter or two quarters. I'm going to fail. I'm not going to, no woman's going to find me attractive. I'm not going to have a family. If I do find one, then because I'm a type three Enneagram, so success is my identity. If I do find one, then what if I can't afford to put them through college or all this other stuff? Like my brain goes down this and it's, it's insane. I know everyone's listening to this is laughing. Um, and, and, but it's just, that's what my brain's going down. And, and what Lewis is pointing out here is you're not trying to surrender that map because none of that's a reality. That's my imagined reality. What I'm surrendering is, you're going through a period where performance at work isn't great. And that's what you can you can surrender and say, God, I give this to you. What can I learn from this? Or maybe some of this is just out of my control and I'm supposed to surrender this to you and just trust through this period and know that there's beautiful stuff on the other side. That's all I can do. Get rid of all of this other stuff. And I like how you pointed out the daily bread for that because for me, I think of the importance of going to daily mass and receiving the Eucharist and that daily bread and the grace and the sustenance that comes through that. But man, I can relate to the op- the, uh, the alternative and the, uh, the future uncertainties that are all incompatible and just ridiculous. And as I was reading this, I started thinking about the Bible and what the Bible ha- has to say about this kind of anxiety. And it speaks about it actually quite a bit because... Uh, Jesus in Matthew's gospel, he says, 
Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, or what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor about your body, or what you shall put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And it's this line. And which of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit to his span of life? Jesus is saying, what, how does worrying help? <laughs> and, and he ends that section by saying, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Let the day's own trouble be sufficient for the day. I had written down that last one, Matthew six thirty four. I love the last part of that. Mine's slightly different translation, but sufficient for the day is its own trouble, meaning tomorrow. I like that. Yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow's going to have its own difficulties. Just concentrate on what's happening today and don't think that you're doing anything particularly productive by worrying about it. Now, I do find that telling someone not to be anxious is only so helpful because it's rather like telling someone not to imagine a pink elephant. It often has the reverse effect. So I would suggest that... Uh, one reduces anxiety by prayer and by contemplating the good, the true, and the beautiful. And as I've mentioned before, my wife and I were reading through the Bible in a year, and we've just gone through my favorite book, which is Philippians. And that's where St. Paul says, have no anxiety about anything. And remember, he's writing this from prison. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the God of peace, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. Notice that he wants them to act. And the God of peace will be with you. I'm curious. I had a couple of thoughts of why it's important to focus on the fear itself and not the things of the fe- that creating the fear. And one of the big reasons I was thinking this, I'm curious if you agree with these, is when we're focusing on the thing. So in my case, let's pretend it's at work and it's just things aren't going well. And I'm focusing on those. The thing is, those actually might be a good. I My perspective is they're a bad, but I don't know the goodness that God's bringing out of them. So when you focus on them, your prayer becomes, God, allow performance to be great. Well, you know what? That actually might be the worst <laughs> prayer in that moment. I can't see it. But that, that our perspective is not wise enough to constantly attempt to pray and change the things. We, we have to trust his goodness in them. So I think that's one of the reasons why it's important to just focus on the fear. Another, a bit more psychological and practical, is once you just state, you know, I'm in a state of fear, or they actually say this with men or women too, I'm in a state of lust, or I'm in a state of anger, it somewhat loses its power because you're just naming that it's a state, which means it's fleeting and it can pass you. And it doesn't have control over you if you can name it. We, we know naming has power over stuff. And so I also think there's just something incredibly practical about just naming it. Well, on your first point, I think that's a very good reason why at the end of basically every prayer, you should say, but not my will, but thine be done. <laughs> it kind of fixes whatever heresy you've been praying up until then. But your second point sort of takes us into the, the next section, um, in paragraph four, there are a few sentences which you and I had a quick text exchange earlier because they're somewhat ambiguous. Screwtape reminds Wormwood of his previous letter on prayer, where he says that prayers can be weakened by redirecting the patient's attention from God to the patient's own thoughts about God. He did the same thing with the patient's mother. Rather than praying for you know her body, he prays for her soul, which is this thing that he doesn't really understand. It's basically like praying for somebody else <laughs> entirely. And then Screwtape writes, on the other hand, fear becomes easier to master when the patient's mind is diverted from the thing feared to the fear itself, considered as a present and undesirable state of his own mind. And when he regards the fear as his appointed cross, he will inevitably think of it as a state of mind. Now, what's not entirely clear about this, when he says that fear becomes easier to master... Is he talking about it from his own point of view, from his hellish point of view? Or is he saying that for the patient, it's easier to master? I, f- I, f- I feel like I have the answer, by the way, now. Go for it. But the thing is, it requires the next quote. So I'm going to say the next quote. This is, how, this is how we use, this is how we tease it out. 
Lewis says there's a spiritual principle throughout this that he follows or that we need to pay attention to. Here's what he says. In all activities of mind which favor our cause, meaning Satan's, encourage the patient to be unself-conscious and to concentrate on the object. So not yourself, but the object. But in all activities favorable to the enemy, meaning our Heavenly Father, bend his mind back on itself. And so when he was talking about prayer of the Heavenly Father, there it's good to be focused on the Heavenly Father. So what does he say here? Because that's, that's an activity in favor of the enemy or Heavenly Father. Instead, focus on yourself, the state of your mind towards your Heavenly Father. Fear, I would argue, is in the camp that's in favor of their cause. Thus, their goal is to take it off yourself and put it on the object. Thus, in this case, what is the correct thing to do is put your mind on the fear itself rather than the object. Yeah, see, I'm not entirely sure about that. I, I agree with your summary that basically whenever the patient is doing something good, you've, you've got to turn his mind back onto himself and tempt him to pride. But if he's doing something bad, then just leave him entirely self-unaware. Mm-hmm. And this relates to Lewis's essay, Meditations in a Toolshed, where he draws a distinction between the two ways of knowing. He calls it contemplation and enjoyment. Um, and Uncle Screwtape, he also gives a couple of examples. He says, if the patient is insulted, don't let him realize, oh, I'm entering a state of anger. And if he's staring at a woman's body, don't let him think, oh, I'm entering a state of lust. But on the other hand, if he's being charitable, let him realize that. Let him be very conscious of this is his own state of mind. Because what it'll hopefully do is it'll, uh, he'll be so proud of himself that he'll stop thinking about God and his neighbor. The question though is what does concentrating on his on his awareness of his own fear what does that do and i would say generally that's it's usually very destructive when someone spends all their time dwelling on their own fear because it and and earlier in this letter he has said that he needs to recognize that it's the current anxiety of the choices uh, which that is his current cross at the moment i think what screwtape is saying here is uh, if if he's recognized that, then you want to push him so that he starts thinking less about what his cross is and his own sensation of being afraid. If you've ever been in that situation when you're so scared that you can't actually do anything, you find yourself repeating things to yourself like, I'm so afraid, I can't do anything, it's going to be like this forever. It's kind of debilitating and it stops it stops your ability to act. Hmm. I guess I've, I've psychologically... I'd say two things. Maybe it goes back to the comment I made earlier. Have somewhat had the opposite experience. The same way when you you mentioned your examples with lust. Um, I don't actually remember the second one you did now. Um, where you just say, I'm entering into a state of lust or I'm entering in a state of anger. I do find when I say, I'm just entering in a state of fear, it actually becomes easier to deal with. Then if I constantly keep my attention on the thing that's bringing the fear, it almost takes your attention off the thing that's causing the fear. So psychologically, if I'm afraid of getting up and giving a talk and I'm, I'm afraid because I think I'm going to look like an idiot and a loser and my imposter syndrome comes out and I'm going to just be found out as a fraud and an idiot. <laughs> um, and my mind goes way further than that. If I'm a fraud and an idiot, I'm not worthy and all this other stuff. Or then I just say, oh, I'm afraid right now. I've almost forgotten about the other stuff. And, and I thought the, the passage that unlocked it for me was, was earlier when he does say, this is Screwtape speaking now. It is your business, meaning now he's actually saying what Screw Wormwood needs to do, to see that the patient never thinks of the present fear as his appointed cross. So he's trying to say, don't focus on the fear as your cross. That's, that's what he doesn't want, but only the things he is afraid of. So he actually is telling them, put it, make yourself think of the things of the fear rather than the fear itself. So I thought that was the key that unlocked it when I was reading it a few times that made me think, what Lewis is saying is focus on the fear rather than the things you're afraid of. I don't think it's quite so much that he's got to choose between those two options. So the first bad choice was to uh, focus on all of the myriad of mutually exclusive possibilities and uh, try and feel brave for all of them. That was the first bad option. The better option it w- was, to, was to realize that his cross to bear was the fact that he didn't know the, what was going to happen to him. That was, that was the thing that he had to carry. 
what I think Screwtape is saying here, and I am going to criticise Lewis on this bit. I know um, Stephen Beebe says he's a master communicator, but points out some areas where he's not always great. I think this this section wasn't brilliantly clear. But what I think Lewis was saying is that, okay, so he's now accepted the current anxiety as mm-hmm. his cross. Now get him to, rather than thinking about that as his cross, in the same way that when he's praying to God, now let him think about about his current states of thinking about that fear in the same way rather than praying to God he's thinking about his state of mind regarding God so it's a, it's a transition from the cross to embracing the actual fear itself I could get behind I could get behind that ladder the state because I mean we do know he says earlier the state of mind of our heavenly father and and he and he says in the passage that we quoted a little bit earlier and he says I'll reread it now that we've had this discussion <laughs> Marie and I were sitting on the couch talking about this a little bit earlier as well. But Screwtape says, On the other hand, fear becomes easier to master when the patient's mind is diverted from the thing feared to the fear itself, considered as a present and undesirable state of his own mind. That's the one, I think. It's when it's seen as a state of his own mind and something that he doesn't want. And when he regards the fear as the appointed cross, he will inevitably think of it as a state of mind. So I think I think it's more of that distinction mm-hmm. between accepting the cross and thinking his fear as his own state of mind. I want to say if any listeners dive into this, because we get a lot of great listener feedback and you'd be surprised where we'll actually have listeners say, didn't agree with what you said here, thought it actually meant this. We love that because again, we're just enthusiasts and as you can already see here, we're just trying to understand this ourselves with you guys along. So if you guys read this either based on our conversation or if you now go back to that that section, read it three or four times and have what you think is the answer, send us an email. Go to our website, pintswithjack.com. Go to the contact form or you can just email contacts at pintswithjack.com. We would love to hear what you guys think. And I'm sure there will be ample discussion about this on the <laughs> <Yes>. Slack channel. <laughs> Screwtape then transitions from discussing the patient's uncertainty about whether he'll be called up to active service to his general attitude about the war and the Germans. And Screwtape says not to expect too much when it comes to the hatred of the Germans, because he says it's usually a sort of melodramatic or mythical hatred directed against imaginary scapegoats. The results of such fanciful hatred are often most disappointing. And of all humans, the English are, in this respect, the most deplorable milksops, which is what it means. They're, they're complete pushovers. He says, they are creatures of that miserable sort who loudly proclaim that torture is too good for their enemies and then give tea and cigarettes to the first wounded German pilot who turns up at the back door. Uh, and I actually remember reading stories about this when I was doing high school history of, of this exact thing happening, of German pilots uh, crashing and then being very well looked after. Uh, Screwtape is saying that don't think you're going to get a whole lot out of the patient if you make him hate the uh, hate the Germans, because there will be uh, some natural goodness in in his patient that will naturally seek to care for him and seek his good. First, this made me think of our favorite book because Andrew is not here. Lewis's best book to defend this: The Great Divorce. <laughs> when his best his book, best book. When we were talking about in the section where the people were in the line. And you mentioned that English people, when someone cuts someone in line, will be in their heads like, oh my God, this is just so terrible. This person is such a crappy person. Such, And then they'll say, oh, I'm so sorry. Let me cut back. Oh, it's totally fine. Didn't even notice. <laughs> I, I thought of this when, when I was reading this section. I thought of that. I think it's very true. I, I think I, I think he he calls out the calls out the British quite quite rightly in this one. Uh, <laughs> Screwtape then says that the patient is always going to have some benevolence and some malice, but what Screwtape wants him to do is to direct those impulses very carefully. He says direct the malice to his immediate neighbours whom he meets every day, and thrust his benevolence out to the remote circumference to people he doesn't know. He says thus the malice becomes wholly real and the benevolence largely imaginary. And this is what you were talking about at the very beginning. Uh, hatred of, say, Hitler or Osama bin Laden, it, it isn't as real as hatred of my neighbor. I almost made this a quote of the week, because this applies today. Whether you are left or right makes no difference. This isn't going to get political. But in politics... Oh, it will. I have a note. <laughs> but no, in politics in general... Both parties virtue signal in very different ways. You can I'm not even gonna list the ways each side virtue signal, but we all do it. We we 
get behind some worthy, beautiful cause that makes us seem like we're a very virtuous person. It's not hard to state those things. It's not hard to feel certain ways and get behind these things. But what are you doing with those really close to you? If you are in, a, if you are in a, uh, if you're married and you've got kids, how are you treating your spouse? How are you treating your kids? In my case, how am I treating those that I work with on a daily basis? It doesn't matter these values I espouse or virtue signaling or these causes that I think are noble causes and argue against negative ones. What am I doing in my immediate circle to those next to me, my neighbor? This was a powerful section in my mind. And it goes back to what I mentioned earlier. Imagine reality versus reality. A lot of those things, the malice you have, or the benevolence in this case, are towards an imagined reality. You're not actually applying it to the people close to you. Your reality, you're bringing malice and tension. And so I just, I thought Lewis, oh, nailed it with this. And now I'm going to get political. Because <laughs> <laughs> as I was reading this, I thought, you know, as we're approaching an election here in the United States, I was thinking about the idea of imaginary hatred and imaginary benevolence and real, <laughs> real hatred and real benevolence in terms of how we might think of the opposition party in the abstract. Uh, you, know, you might say, oh, no, no, I, I love Republicans. Uh, but when you actually meet one, that's when the knives come out. Or even vice versa. You, you might be uh, spitting venom when you think about the Democrats, but when you actually encounter uh, a, a Democratic neighbor uh, at, uh, uh, across, the, across the fence of your backyard, you might then find there's a whole lot more goodness there uh, in your own behavior than you would have expected. And the other thought that came to mind was the fact that we often have very charitable feelings towards the poor in other countries, but not those on our own doorstep. In each of these ideas, I think you could cut them lots of different ways, but it's the difference between having an imaginary virtue or vice and actually having a real virtue or vice. Uh, and Screwtape unpacks as to how, uh, how, the, how those two things relate in the final section of this letter uh, when he talks about these concentric circles. Uh, and as an aside, there's a really interesting textual variant in this section that I'm sure Andrew will discuss on today's Skype session. Uh, but for now, let's just look at the published text. You remember in the very first letter, Screwtape spoke about a time when people connected thinking and doing. Well, in this letter, he gives a mental model of how Wormwood should think about his patient and the connection between those things. He says, think of your man as a series of concentric circles, his will being the innermost, his intellect coming next, and finally, his fantasy. So that was will, intellect, fantasy. He says, you can hardly hope at once to exclude from all the circles everything that smells of the enemy, but you must keep on shoving all the virtues outward till they are located in the circle of fantasy and all the desirable qualities inward into the will. It is only insofar as they reach the will and are there embodied in habits that the virtues are really fatal to us. Wow. That's one of those ones where you just let a little pause there. Let that sink in a little bit. But this is this goes back to what you mentioned earlier. And as listeners know, now that we're on the fourth season with me, I love to attempt to tease out what's the major theme I'm getting from this personally. This book, this work of Lewis's. And sometimes they're working hypotheses and working theses. We're only in six letters. But it's what you said earlier with doing, actions, it's, he mentioned, I, I talked about it last week with Brenton when he, when it, he says, let this suffering get in the way of virtue formation, Lewis wrote. It's the same thing here, this, this doing the will versus the fantasy. It's all about what you do. It's your habits. It's your disciplines. It's how you treat people. It's your present moment, your actions. And that's something I'm seeing huge in the screw tape letters so far, at least could be other stuff that comes. There's many other themes, by the way. This is meant to say this is what Matt is being challenged with in his own life, not necessarily what Lewis's <laughs> main theme is. And I think his word choice is beautiful here when he talks about when they are embodied in habits, mm. embodied, incarnated, made flesh, substantial. This is the difference between, between that imaginary goodwill that you have towards people and real goodwill or imaginary hatred and real hatred. It's, is it embodied? Is it incarnated? Because then it becomes much more real and much more potent. And it's because of this that Screwtape wants all of the good and virtues at the edges of this concentric circle. 
you know, out into the realms of fantasy and never translated into action. Fine, let your patient feel deeply about the poor. Just don't let him feed them. Let, let him think about sharing the gospel. Just don't let him actually open his mouth and say anything. I've had, I have a family member, I'm going to keep this incredibly vague. <laughs> I have a, a family member that I love dearly who will sometimes make comments uh, of, of vulnerable groups that I'm like, all right, that is probably not something that should be said. Um, and it's probably not one politically correct or true, just like a charitable comment. Yet, I, I've also, and I've said this right to, to their face. I'm going to use pronouns. But then I also say, you've also probably given more to causes that help these types of individuals than any other human being I would, I know in my life. And so like sometimes the, the fantasy or the, 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 the fantasy realm, let's call it that the outer isn't always perfect. Um, there's some biases and preconceived notions that are incorrect. And I try to correct those, but the actions are incredibly charitable and beautiful. And I'm like, you know what? All right. <laughs> That's what matters. The will is good. <laughs> so you're saying this person has some imaginary hatred uh, but some real charity. That's exactly right. When he encounters people in reality. Or she. <laughs> <laughs> or she. <sighs> I love the person. We have a great, I love him. We have a great relationship. Leave it at that. <laughs> or her. <laughs> uh, there is one little bit at the end where Screwtape clarifies what he means by the will. So in these concentric circles, the thing that's at the very center he says he's not talking about the will in the sense of the bold resolutions that one typically makes through clenched teeth. You know, it's like, I'm going to go to the gym tomorrow. <laughs> he calls it the real center, what the Bible calls the heart, the very core of a man's person. So don't let those virtues start becoming who that man actually is. And I love what you just said there, because that's been something that God has been placing on my heart in the last, honestly, the past week, I was just at confession again and had a beautiful conversation with the priest. And I'm reading Wild at Heart again, which talks about the desires of the heart. So heart has been a really big thing in my life. And when I was in front of the tabernacle the other day and I was praying, I was just struggling. And I just said, God, my prayer is very simple. Give me your heart. I would love to just experience your heart for the world, for others, the heart of adventure, the heart of anger sometimes, like that same heart that gets mad and turns over the money changers, the tables, but then the same heart that treats someone in sin with a deep amount of compassion. Because I've just been feeling my heart in a bad place. And I think you're exactly right. That's that the heart is everything. And so I just simplified my prayer. It's almost like when you say God, thy will be done. If for me it was just like God, I don't even know what to pray for anymore, these specific things. So I just pray that you would give me your heart and place that within me. Well, I think then let's just wrap up the end of this discussion with the final line of the letter, because it's kind of chilling. Mm -hmm. Screwtape says, all sorts of virtues painted in fantasy or approved by the intellect or even in some measure loved and admired will not keep a man from our father's house. Indeed, they make him more amusing when he gets there. And earlier I referred to the C.S. Lewis doodle and there's a little speech bubble at that point that appears that says, but I like nice things. <laughs> Unreal. And remember, guys, father's house here means Satan's house. Yeah, not a place you want to go. <laughs> well, then let's transition and talk about unscrewing screw tape. So I had a few, and they really go with the main themes. So the first thing I mentioned was do focus on your immediate reality. Straight and simple. Not this imagined reality. Well, I had the, the converse, do not. <laughs> do not waste time constantly worrying about the future. I put, do focus on the habit of doing good. A couple too many do's in there. But it goes to that ending. Don't merely think about it. Mm -hmm. I had the, do not just think about doing good, <laughs> act on it. I also added, do love your neighbor, i.e. the mm -hmm. guy next door. You know, so often we talk about neighbor and we like to make it much in the same way praying for someone's soul can distract you from actually praying for the person. I think sometimes we like to spiritualize neighbor a little bit too much. It's like, no, I'm just thinking like, whichever is the closest human being to where you live, go love that person. And the last do I had was do be attentive to your state of mind, but not too much. 
<laughs> I like that. The last one I had was do combat imagined reality with truth. Mm. I think those are some good pieces of advice. Yeah. And that came from, by the way, when it talked about heavenly father and state of mind, it made me think, well, when you have a state of mind of your heavenly father, how do you combat that? Well, with truth of scripture, focus on scripture, read scripture and see what scripture mm. says about our heavenly father, not what your state of mind thinks of the heavenly father in this moment. Truth, scripture, teaching. It's the Casting Crown song, which I'm pretty sure I've mentioned at least once every season, uh, the voice yeah. of truth. You know, when Peter stepped out of the boat, he heard the voice of Christ. Uh, he wasn't listening to the sound of the waves, at least not initially. It's when he started paying attention to the storm that was around him that things started to go a little awry. Well, as we wrap this up, everybody, we want to remind you to check out our social media stuff. So first and foremost, if you enjoy this, please leave us an iTunes reviews. One, we read them. We love them. They nurture us. They encourage us. Dave and I really appreciate those. If you feel called to five stars, please leave a five star. If you feel called to less, maybe email us first. But if you want to, at least leave a review. I hate when I see a one star or a three star and I don't even know what we've done wrong <laughs> and, and improve. Uh, so at least leave a review. Yeah, if you think we're terrible, tell us why. And Matt will set about fixing whatever deep character flaws <laughs> you've seen in him. As a reminder, Patreon, you guys are phenomenal. Dave and I were talking about before this, the amount of people that we have supporting us on Patreon has helped cover, I don't know, roughly maybe 75, 80% of our costs. You guys are fantastic. Um, and if you do do that as the second tier above, you get to join our Slack community, which also is going phenomenally well. We have 61 members a part of that right now. And it is getting so deep, the conversations, I'm blown away. I love it. Check out Facebook, Twitter. The handles are Pints with Jack for Twitter. David is just working magic on those. Instagram, he's got the quotes. And actually, Brittany White has been phenomenal in making those quotes. Check out all of that, guys. And it is getting close to Christmas now. It's not that far away. So what better gift could you give a loved one than, say, a Pints with Jack t-shirt or a Pints with Jack glass? I'm just saying you can buy all of these at pintswithjack.com. The teal and the navy shirts, by the way, on point. The Glen Claring glass, scotch glass. Ooh, uh, it's, I, I use it more than any other Pints of Jack glass I have. Well, let's cheers with it. Well, guys, join us next time when we're going further up and further in. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>